Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day you've made for us. And I pray, Lord, as we look at your word and the way that you have worked in the world in flesh, that we would see the hope of your resurrection. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you've studied hard. You've done the extracurricular things. You have taken the SAT. You've taken the ACT. You've written your college essays. And then it comes. The thick acceptance letter in the mail. It's real. You're going to the college of your dreams. You've sent all the invitations. You've done the premarital counseling. You've picked the DJ. You've tasted the cakes. Now it's the big day. The vows, the kiss, the toast. It's real. You're married. You've painted the room. You've bought the crib. You've taken the Lamaze class. You've slept uncomfortably for months. Now in your arms is the little one that you're going to bring home. It's real. What are those feelings? Joy, excitement, but mixed also with awe and fear. Wait, this is actually happening? I'm actually going to this college. I've now got to really study hard. While I've actually made a commitment to this person, now I have to love them unconditionally. Now I have to take this living, breathing thing home and feed it and care for it and change its diapers. Joy mixed with fear. You followed this teacher hundreds of miles around Palestine. You've heard him, heard him talk about a new kingdom to come, about his victory over the ugliness of sin, over the corruption in the world, over injustice and abuse. You followed all of his lessons and said, this is going to happen, and you are digging this stuff. You said, this is good stuff. But then, all that he's talked about, it becomes a reality before your eyes. This is truly the king. He has truly defeated death. He has resurrected from the dead. Those same feelings I just talked about, joy and excitement, are now mixed with awe and fear. What does this now mean? What does the resurrection message do to all the teaching that Jesus gave? What does the resurrection message do, this reality do, to the Sermon on the Mount? That's a question I want us to think through today. How does the resurrection bring life in fullness to the teachings of Christ? And then how do we respond to it? Let's look together, shall we? 
We're in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. I think we have 1 through maybe uh, 15 printed. I'm just going to do 1 through 10 this morning. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, like many of you are, we have gone through the book of Matthew this winter and this spring, specifically what's been known as the greatest sermon ever told the Sermon on the Mount. And what we talked about is the Sermon on the Mount is the likable stuff of Jesus, or as some says, the believable stuff about Jesus. This is the things of Jesus we can believe in the modern world without having to believe all this supernatural stuff. You know, the teachings about do not judge, love your enemies, do not worry. That's stuff we can jive with, right? We're fine with that. And if maybe you took Religion 101 in college like I did, I was told, you know, you can believe the Sermon on the Mount stuff, but the resurrection, not so much. And the question is, can't you have just philosopher Jesus? Can't you just have yoga Jesus? Can't you just have Sermon on the Mount Jesus? Do you really need the resurrection? I'm going to make this argument to you this morning. The resurrection gives validity to the kingdom. To the kingdom message of Jesus. What he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. It gives validity to that message. And it means he reigns over that kingdom now. Maybe you were a person that was dragged here today. That's what happens on Easter. I'm sorry you were, but I'm glad you're here. And maybe you have some good questions about this whole passage and this whole church thing, Christianity thing, resurrection thing. Maybe some of you are asking the question, did the resurrection really happen? 
Maybe for some of you, like most of the people in Appleton and actually most people in the United States, you cognitively believe in the resurrection. But has it really changed your heart? Has the reality of the resurrection changed your motivations, your desires, your behavior, your very will? So there's two questions I want to look at. One, is it real? And does it change anything in your life? It's a great thing about the Bible. There's uh, four Gospels. So there's four accounts of the resurrection. And they all kind of follow the same pattern. Although as we get further in Jesus' resurrection time, you can see that there's different people that interact with Jesus. There's different stories in each one of the accounts. But all of them start on Sunday morning with ladies coming to the tomb. Matthew talks about two ladies. They're not the 12 or the 11 at this point, but they are disciples, followers of Christ. One has been healed by Jesus. Many demons have been cast out of her. The other, the other Mary, is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, two of the 12, James and Joseph. It's interesting that the third day Jesus mentioned, I would rise from the dead. He said it three times in the book of Matthew. And he told his disciples, I'll meet you in Galilee. Three times he had said this before his death. But we can see that none of them are there. They're cowering in Jerusalem or other places worried about officials that might that came after their leader, Jesus. They might come after them too. The only people that come to the tomb are these two ladies. Probably not to come to see that he is risen, but as Mark talks about in his gospel, come to put spices on this body part of the customary practice of the embalming process. It's interesting. Three years. Three years of following this man that's talked about a new kingdom, has shown them miracles, has talked about his reign, has talked about how he's going to have to die. And they, as disciples, affirmed, we believe you, Jesus. We will follow you to the ends of the earth. But then when it comes down to it, where actually it has come true that he has died, what's the result? Cowering. Failure to believe this reign has actually happened. For all intents and purposes, God is not in control for them. Jesus has not reigned. He's not coming out of the tomb. They've lost. And the only ones that are going to check and not in the right motives are the ladies. You know, the argument against Christianity that I've heard many times, heard from my roommate for four years in college, from college professors, 
from other people that do not believe in Christianity, it works a little bit like this. Jesus died. His followers were discouraged. But over a long period of time, they started to make up stories. He's not just a good teacher. He's, he's actually God. He's not just God, but he, he rose from the dead. And these are the stories that are told. Say so The resurrection really did not happen. If you think that's a new idea, it's not. It's been going on for, for hundreds of years, that concept of what happened. Actually, here it says that actually happened even back then, that that's what they were saying. Truth is, I encourage you to look at the evidence. Many scholars have written to this argument. Much to disprove what has been said by modern scholarship and is shown even through evidential scholarship and through doing the research and looking at the history that you can poke holes in the idea that this is just a fabrication. Instead, this actually happened. You've got to say, if you're going to make up a religion, if you're going to make up that Jesus actually rose from the dead, first place you start if you're in the first century is you don't have women be the ones that are the witnesses. No offense to ladies out here. But back in that day, women could not even testify in court. Their, their witnessing, their, their testimony was not valid. So why, if you were trying to bring credence and evidence to the resurrection that Jesus actually rose from the dead, why would you have women in each one of the four Gospels be your first witnesses of Jesus rising from the dead? Unless it actually happened. It's funny, I was listening to Christopher Hitchens recently. Christopher Hitchens, a famous atheist, a former atheist, he's now passed away. He made the same argument. You could tell he'd been reading Lewis and others. And he said, you know, why should we listen to the evidence of women of the resurrection? Well, the thing is, it's not just the ladies that are the ones that were the ones that saw Jesus in his resurrected body. Throughout the other gospel, names are given. It says that 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And names are given because you could go at that time and you could go talk to them. You could talk to the eyewitnesses. Is it true? Did you see him, Mary? Thomas, did you see Jesus? Peter, did this happen? Disciples, did he rise from the dead? Matthew wasn't written a hundred years after Christ. Even the most skeptical scholars would say it was written in the late 60s, 30, 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus. These people are still alive. Talk to them. See what they say. Well, the resurrection really wasn't what the ladies were expecting. But it changed everything. It's a really interesting account. I encourage you to read over again Matthew 28 in your own time that this is a very 
kind of nuts and bolts story. It's not inventive. It's not flowery. It's not just hopeful. You would think if someone is writing about Jesus' resurrection much later after Jesus, maybe in the later part of the first century or the second century, where many Christians were being martyred for the faith, you would think if you're going to talk about the resurrection that Jesus would say something hopeful to these people, right? If you're making up the story for people that are dying at this point for the faith, you would say something like, Jesus spoke to Mary's and said, find hope in my resurrection. There is hope in life. Go for it. You know, something like that. Something encouraging. But what does he say? Hi. (laughs) Greetings. This is just interesting things that what they notice is an angel sitting on a stone. It's just interesting evidence. They are recounting what they saw. And I love verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Isn't that a true reaction? (laughs) To hearing from the angel that the tomb is empty, that he is risen? I mean, I can admit, my wedding day was one of the most joyful days in my life, but also one of the scariest days of my life. Like, this is a huge commitment. This is big. I'm marrying a girl that I love, but we're about to embark in something that's insane. When I took Ellie home, one of the most joyful days of my life. But I remember walking with her in the stroller. Aaron wasn't there anymore, right? It's just me and Ellie. And I remember going, God, what have you done? <laughs> this is scary. It's real. Here is flesh. It's going to change my whole life. All that Jesus talked about to all his disciples, to all that that have followed him. He said, the kingdom, the kingdom, this is the way to live. This is the way you should be. And now what does he show? It's true. I am the king. I am victorious. You know, when I talked about love for enemy, I did it, and it worked. You know, when I talked about fidelity in the Sermon on the Mount, when I talked about being faithful to your spouse, guess what? I was faithful to you, Israel, a broken bride. To the church, I have been faithful, and it's paid off. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, when I talked about telling the truth, I did it even when I was wrongly accused. When I said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here it is. When I talked about those who mourn shall be comforted, that's what I did. When I talked about the meek inheriting the earth, look what the resurrection has done. 
All of this has been fulfilled. This king has done something no other king has ever done or ever will do. He has defeated death. See, that's the thing with my roommate. He could say, I love the teachings of Jesus. I love what he says. But if he's not victorious, who cares? It's just another competing idea that might work, that might not. Really, the only thing that works is those who are in power, as Nietzsche might say. But here Christ shows what I say is true. This is the real kingdom. Here's the thing. I, I, I just mentioned college acceptance letters. Some of you have never gotten a great acceptance letter like that. I mentioned marriage and living happily ever after. But some of you have been bruised by relationships in mighty ways. Talk about birth and pregnancy. Some of us have struggled and continue to struggle to have a baby. Some of those tragedies are still pains for you. What's the message to you? Oh, I guess you got a bad break. You better work harder next time. I guess that's the cards you were dealt. I want to say to you this morning, the cross and the resurrection shows there is victory for you. In the pain, in the suffering, in those places, Christ says, guess what? There is victory over sin and death and corruption and bad choices. And by not being pregnant or divorced, you name it, there is victory. I have died for those things. So here these ladies are running. And Matthew inserts his favorite word to say over and over again in the book of Matthew, verse 9. And behold, this is kind of the stop kind of thing. Look, see what's happening. And it probably literally stopped these ladies in their tracks. Because there is Jesus. You could just imagine they're running past and he just goes, hi. Hi. And what do they do? They take hold of his feet. They go and they worship him. Not some angel, not some ethereal thing, but flesh. The resurrected body. They take hold of his feet. There's, there's no Old Testament categories for a resurrected body. I mean, there's resuscitation where people come back to life, but then they die again later. But here, this is the resurrected body. 
the body that will never fade and never die later. N.T. Wright calls it the transphysical body because Jesus walks through doors and goes from place to place in, in crazy ways, but at the same time, he still eats and he can be touched, he can be hugged. You would think if you're going to make up a story about the resurrection that maybe you would use some language from the Old Testament like Daniel chapter 12 talking about these resurrection things that it was like what? A shining star. No, that's not what this is. It's different. This is something that they had never seen before because it had never happened before. And it hits these ladies, and it changes them. Maybe I hear the skeptics out there. Maybe your friends or those you're around. Come on. Some people will even go to their death about something that is not true. They'll even believe a delusion and die for it. They'll do all kinds of things to force it into existence. I don't think that's the true for so many Hebrews. You've got to realize the ones that followed Jesus at the beginning were the Jews. And ingrained in them was the idea of this, you don't worship a person. I mean, that's, you just don't do that. That's not the way God is. You don't worship a person. But here, these ladies, they fall on their feet and they worship. Why? Because here was God come in the flesh. Here, the followers of Jesus would go against all of their traditions, even their family. They would go to the ends of the earth, living the Sermon on the Mount, loving enemies, forgiving those that persecute them, living poor in spirit, meek, mourning. They would do all of those things because why? Because a new king reigned and it was true. They lived and died for it because they saw it. So let's put it on you, shall we? Here's the thing. If it is true that this king was victorious, that he wasn't just reigning then, but now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning now, he too is to be worshipped, to be honored and follow just like these ladies did. It kind of forces you to get out of, oh yeah, I believe this resurrection stuff, to, wait a second, maybe this changes my whole life. It maybe gets you out of the place where you say, well, yeah, I'll come at Easter time, but that's about it. It 
it moves you out of the place where it says, oh, I don't know about this resurrected Christ, this God, telling me what I should do about my schedule. Telling what, me what to do with my decisions, with my money, with my speech, with my sexual life, with my anxiety. I don't know about a resurrected Christ telling me to do things about those areas of my life. If Jesus rose from the dead, and if he reigns next to the Father in heaven, guess what? He gets to tell us what we want to do with our lives because we worship him, because he has saved us. You see, if Jesus is the perfect God-man that rose from the dead, it makes the Sermon on the Mount Mount a lot more than good advice. It makes it the way to life. Here it is. The way to life. Jesus Christ has come. He has given up himself for us. And by us standing and coming forward and taking the elements, we are saying he does reign. There is something spiritually happening here that he is spiritually present in my life. He is present reigning in heaven. And when I partake in him, I come to heaven and I am nourished by him. So there's some white grape juice on the outside. There's red wine in the middle. There's bread here and gluten-free wafers. If you're not ready, if you're like, I- I'm just visiting. I don't know about this whole Jesus stuff. This is, sounds pretty serious. It is. I encourage you. There's some prayers printed in your worship guide. I encourage you can pray those and stay seated. This isn't an Emmaus Road table, a Presbyterian table. This is for those that say, I trust in Christ. I need him. And he is my life.